What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Mako's The Movies. We are going to talk about the season finale of The Mandalorian titled The Return. It feels rather quick that this season's over. I'm not sure why, because each season has been eight episodes, but I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with this season hasn't been as exciting for me. Certainly when Rob and I talked about the last episode, uh, we had high hopes for the season finale. Did that come to fruition? Were our expectations met? Were they not somewhere in the middle? One thing that I've heard about this, and Rob, I don't know if you've heard this, is a lot of people said this didn't feel like a season finale. And some of the things I'm going to talk about might uh, dabble into that. But obviously, we're not doing popcorn time yet. What what did you think when this first ended? Were you were you excited? Were you did you need a second to really think about what we just saw? I am going to just go ahead and and maybe we're going to differ on this a little bit, but because we've not talked about this at all uh, prior to hitting record, I have a note on my list that says, now this is how you end a season. I, 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 I might, I might have a difference of opinion uh, than, than how you feel. But to me, I felt like the pace of this episode was so fast. And in, and I mean that in a good way, like this thing is just flying. There is stuff happening. There is great action. There's things that have stakes to them both in terms of previous seasons, events of this season, and thinking about what can happen in the greater Star Wars story moving forward, both in other episodes of television, of other series that are coming later this year, uh, and a likely season four of The Mandalorian, the film that we know is going to be in uh, production at some point that will take place uh, in the Mandalorian kind of sphere of story. There's so much that can happen moving forward that I'm very fascinated to see. So to me, I was I was very pleased with the overall episode as as a bookend to this season. I felt like I got about everything I wanted. I I'm excited for what will happen next. I'm excited for what will happen with our characters. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So here's the thing. I got done with the episode. I enjoyed it. I did. I kind of felt the same way as some other people that I read reviews of, of, huh? I don't know if this felt like a season finale. And then I watched it again. And I went, you know what? No, this this definitely feels like a cap to the end of the season. Do I think it's perfect? No, I, I do have some things that I have some questions on. Did I thoroughly enjoy it? Yes, I did. I, I thought this episode was very well done. There is a battle in here in this episode that, quite frankly, we've never gotten in Star Wars. And I think it's one of the best it like certainly for the Mandalorian, but it's, it's one of my favorite action scenes, I think in star Wars on the screen. And it has to do with the Mandalorians and the dark troopers, which I thought the first battle that we got between them 
minus some faults was really good. The way that this battle was filmed, I thought was amazing because we've never seen some of the aspects of this was an aerial flight battle, not with starships, but with people. And I thought that was so well done, uh, especially seeing it a second time. I was just mesmerized by the choreography in that battle and just something that I haven't seen in Star Wars. I'm going to co-sign that for sure. It really felt like an X-Wing TIE fighter scene, but but with people in jetpacks, which adds layers of danger and risk. It it gives you the opportunity to tell stories a little bit differently. And it was filmed so incredibly well. Just the storytelling that happens throughout this entire last episode, both the battles that are on the ground and the battles that happen in the air, the battle, you know, the the scenes that happen on ships, the scenes that are mostly the Mandalorians and the Dark Troopers in jetpacks fighting each other. I've not been able to rewatch whole episodes of anything this season uh, for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of these episodes I didn't want to, and we've talked about that. <laughs> and just time. I, I, in the past, I typically watched everything twice before we went on air. Once just to watch it, and the second time to you know, familiarize myself with what I wanted to say about the episode and to really crystallize my opinions on certain things. If things landed better, the first, you know, the second time compared to the first, uh, this was the first episode that I intentionally went back and at least rewatched a few scenes because it was that good. And it gave me what I was looking for. Yeah. You know, I also did uh, appreciate the fact that one, you know, we had talked about it at the close of the previous episode. You know, was it too on the nose? Was it too obvious for the armorer to be a turncoat? I liked it. I, I like the fact that, you know, the Mandalorians are are together. I, I do have one. I have one complaint that I want to get out of the way immediately. I want to get your thoughts on this is where was this kick-ass Mando throughout this season? Because yeah. he certainly looked like in some episodes he, you know, needed a fighting for dummies book. And then in this one, you know, until he gets to, to Moff Gideon, which we'll talk about, he's lighting people up. Like, and, and the scenes were amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I'm like, wait, what? happened here like it, it that felt and i do say a complaint because it felt so off from what we've seen him and i don't know if maybe you want to say or somebody wants to say the you know the the thought of and he says it to grogu like if we don't go after him now he's gonna keep coming for us like we have to end this and just the overall thought of maybe protecting grogu or protecting you know, the Mandalorians, it, you know, inspired him, so to speak. I'm using air quotes here. But it, it definitely did not feel like what we saw from him in other episodes. And all of a sudden it was just he he was like this ultimate fighter, so to speak. It's funny you mentioned that because I do think that is a complaint of this season overall, as it feels at times like the script writer, the screenwriters, kind of have a knob for badassedness that they use for him. <laughs> and 
and they turn it up when they want him to kick ass and they turn it down when they need him to get thumped a little bit because it advances the plot. And it's kind of like, go back and rewatch this season. If, if you don't believe me, it's, it's pretty obvious that there's times they need him to suck at being a Mandalorian. <laughs> and then there's times that they need him to be the second coming of Mandalore himself. It's a little uneven there. And I'm like, that's okay. I, I don't think, I don't think it bothers me like that much. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to win every fight. You're not going to lose every fight. Sometimes they're going to get you and sometimes you're going to get them. But there are some times glaringly where he goes from, you know, being the 90 pound wimp to being UFC heavyweight champion. Like it's, it's a little bit much at times. Yeah, that's again, I, I, it bothers me obviously more than, than it bothers you just how some of it was portrayed in this episode. Again, though, I mean, it, it makes up for it that the scenes that he's in and those those fight scenes are really well done there. There's some really cool choreography there. You know, that that very eerie, well, not eerie, but similar shot to the Phantom Menace with the energy mm. fields and things like that. Yes. I th- you know, that was very well done. I like that a lot it certainly had good it still to me had good tension it had good pacing and like you said like this episode kind of moves at a breakneck pace but it didn't feel rushed which i right. liked even though it was quick i didn't feel like geez goddamn like slow down yeah like like tell a story here R- right let's talk about that barrier scene for a second because what? one of the things oh yes let's get into it <laughs> what i really liked about this scene the physical action in this star Mm. Wars has always been about lightsabers and blasters and, and starships and super weapons. It doesn't often get down and dirty. And we got to see some real physical combat here and it was cool. It fit the scene and it fit the character of Din so well, like these Mandalorians, these are these are the hardest of the hard in the galaxy. Like these are these are the people like the boogeyman checks his closet for at night to make sure like the, the Mandalorians are a collective cultural Baba Yaga. Like mm-hmm. you don't mess with them. And to see the resourcefulness when he doesn't have a weapon and he's going to figure it out. It it kind of felt almost video game. Like you, you move from the first level and the first guard has this weapon. And then the second guard has a little bit stronger of a weapon. And the third guard has the flamethrower and the fourth guard has the flamethrower plus the shields. Like it did feel a little bit video gamey there. And I don't say that as a critique. I'm just as an observation, I guess. And each, each level he passes, you know, he, he gets a little bit better. He picks up more equipment and, and he uses that to his advantage. He's being very strategic. He's using, is it R5? I forget the droid's name. Yes. And by the way, can we just talk about how shitty Imperial uh, code breaking is when he can literally take a droid that's afraid of his own shadow and just break in just by putting the probe in like no firewall of any kind, no encryption, like definitely no captcha like there's definitely no part of the imperial security system that's making anybody pick out find the pictures of the bike 
Like, where's all the stoplights in this picture? Like that droid just bypasses it. No problem. And it's not even like a special droid either. It was just supposed to scan to make sure the atmosphere is breathable and it can break Imperial encryption. That's, you know, it seems like every astromech has that ability. You'd think they'd build around that, give it every astromech and break in. But, you know, that's, that's, I think another just general Star Wars complaint. But yeah, the, um, the physical action and that, that action scene as a whole from start to finish was, was really, really incredible. I want to take one step back further though. Can I just say, God damn, I love Grogu. Like he, as a character, I didn't think I could love him more. And when he comes in and saves Din, when he's all tied up, it's just, you know, you see the love he has for Din and the care he has for Din and the bravery that he has knowing that he's a diminutive. Yes, he can use the force, but he's this little guy, you know, he's mm-hmm. very diminutive and he's going to save his daddy Lorian. Like he's going to do what he has to do to try to save him. I just, I love that character so much. I, I think that they've done some amazing things at continuing to endear him to us, the audience and give him more stuff to do and give him more ways to grow. Yeah, Grogu's the one in this, man. Like, good lord. You know, just walking in and no, 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 no. You know, it was... Previous episode, it was adorable. Him hitting the button. Yeah. This episode, it's... You better back the F up. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Exactly. So two of the very same things with two totally different meanings, you know, his, his vocalization, so to speak in this episode was, I thought very well done. His facial expressions in this episode were very well done. And, you know, this, and I I think what, you know, my thing is we're going to get season four and then the movie will cap off their entire story. We need one. We need one more season to see how we get to their movie about how their story is going to end. And I think that season four and then the movie comes. But if. Of course, we want it, but I feel in a way too that this this season really felt like the culm. It felt like the culmination of their relationship. And if we didn't get another season, part of me is like, I can imagine them being off together, bounty hunting adventures. Yeah. And I'd be sad if I never got anything else again, or if it went to star Wars lore and in books and we didn't see it on the big screen, but I felt that I could have a sense of closure on their relationship and seeing like that last final step where, you know, I mean the, the, I will adopt him line. And again, like this is the way, but just it coming full circle that he's doing now, what was done for him. It, It just, it really felt like a full circle moment and it was for me one of the biggest payoffs of this episode was their relationship and where we ended with the two of them. I 
hundred percent agree with that. It's weird because I didn't know that Disney plus was expanding into like those 4d experiences where like all the other stuff happens. It's not just the audio and the visual, but like this, that part of the episode when he says he's going to adopt them as his own, they, they shot sand right into my eye. It was the weirdest thing. (laughs) So did, did, did your Disney plus do that to you? Because just, there was like something in my eye immediately when he said that. And I wasn't like, I was like, I was trying to like figure out where that came out of my TV. Cause I was trying to see like where that port was. Cause I don't remember that being a feature of that particular <laughs> set that I bought, but yeah, it, this is definitely, you know, the cap to it. You think about the big events in star Wars and, and all, of all the things that actually happen in that galaxy far, far away, maybe like 15% of it is actually on screen between TV shows and movies. So much of the big stuff that happens in star Wars is in between films is in between episodes of TV. There's so much that's left to the, the audience to kind of put together on their own. So yeah, to your point, if we, if they just said, actually Mando season three was the end of their story that you'll see on that's planned for TV and and film for now, you could live with it. You could live with it and, and have fun, you know, thinking about what they would do in your mind. But obviously you would want more, just like we wanted more after episode six. And and we got episode seven, 30 years later or four, you know, 35 years later, whatever it ended up being. And it was a success in a lot of ways because we just wanted more, but we wanted to know what went on with Han, Luke and Leia and Chewie and and all of those characters and and you want more selfishly but you could you could get to the end of this and just imagine you know like you said that there's that there's going on and i think you know seeing how it went from him you know din trying to get grogu to to jedi of his kind and all the fetch quests he had to go on to find a jedi who could who could help him fulfill this particular quest and they're building relationship and Grogu making the decision to leave the Jedi training and, and go back to being a Mandalorian. And then you start to see him being trained as a Mandalorian. You get to the end of this particular episode at the end of this season. And what really occurs to me is you think about the great duos in, in just that we can think of the great, the great teams, the great, you know, uh, dynamic duos, if you will, you know, you've got, Laurel and Hardy, the Wright brothers, Dave and Busters, Calvin and Hobbes, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, Lucy and Desi, Thelma and Louise, Mickey and Minnie, Batman and Robin, Cheech and Chong, Beavis and Butthead, Key and Peele, Romeo and Juliet, Mario and Luigi, Hall and Oates. And now you add Din Djarin and Grogu to that list of all time great duos. I think you could have put them probably there before this. But this episode absolutely places them in that list of just all time great, great duos. No, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. Just there, the iconic pair that these two have become is is probably one of the best in Star Wars if 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 not the best because of the fact that they've been to me it's it's different than you know 
the original Luke, Han, Leia. Like the two of them together have gotten the most in what we have seen in a live action. They have the most amount of screen time together. They certainly have more than Obi-Wan and Anakin do between Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith. Because half of Attack of the Clones, Anakin's off with Padme. Um, So, you know, everything in that original, that prequel trilogy that we are supposed to care about with Anakin and Obi-Wan is stuff that they talk about has happened, but us, the viewer, had never seen it. You know, we we get to see what Din and Grogu have been through together, and it makes you root for them. You know, it, it certainly again, like I said, I'd, I'd be OK with it. It makes you sad to know that eventually that story is going to come to an end. Like, oh, man, like what what else are we going to get from them? Uh, I, I do want to say one thing. I, I'm surprised maybe it wasn't one of the first things that I mentioned or or maybe you mentioned. And it's it's brief. But I thought it was cool because, again, it was unique. That POV shot that we get of of Mando, I thought that was really cool during when he's being dragged and you actually get what it looks like to see what like Mando sees through his visor. I, I thought that was a really cool shot. We don't get a lot of it. You're right. Sometimes we got some stuff, I think, with Boba Fett, if I'm if I'm remembering, we got a little bit, uh, but they usually stay away from that kind of stuff. And I'm glad we got to see it. Those little things just help kind of let us know how bad off he was and how important it was for Grogu to come in and in, in IG-12 and and really save him at mm-hmm. that point. You know, and, and we kind of get that a little bit more with the can we talk about how sweet the Praetorian entrance was like they just showed up. Like mm-hmm. they just, boom, they just, they just emerged out of the background. It was so cool. I loved it. And then Grogu just coming out and defiantly just smashing that no button. I just, I love him so much. I love yeah. him. I just, you know, he's, he is the best. And again, I mean, it's not six, but you know, let's appreciate the fact of, okay, this is how you make them look competent. This makes it. You know, you're not watching. There's three of them. You're not watching two of them in the background going. OK, when should I attack? Like, again, it's well choreographed. They yeah. are they are intimidating. They are menacing. I, I thought they did just another really great job. I, I love, you know, there there's so many little references to the larger world. You know, we talked about the similarities to the Phantom Menace. You know, that that scene that we talked about with with Din going through the the Dark Troopers, but that very last shot is very similar to Vader's shot in Rogue One and Luke's shot in the season two finale. Where they're looking for like Mando comes through the smoke. It's it's very similar where that Vader shot in Rogue One, where his lightsaber lights the room before you can see him. Uh, I thought those were really cool callbacks. And I like the fact that, again, for somebody like me who's, you know, played the video games and things like that, you know, there's weapons that are in this episode that are from Jedi Fallen Order. And I just I I love the little tie ins, because, again, if you've never played that game, 
you're not missing anything. But for me, for me, someone who's a huge fan of it, I, I just love all these little connective tissues that we're getting. But again, don't feel ham fisted. Yeah. And when you think about how big Star Wars expanded universe can get, there's times where a more casual fan or even somebody who considers themselves a hardcore fan, but just has to be judicious with their time and can't read every graphic novel, play every hundred hour plus video game, watch every episode of every animated show and tie in that is going to pick and choose to watch the big stuff. You know, the the major films, the live action TV releases if they're good, you know, they're going to be there for that, but they're just not going to have time for that other stuff. You can definitely get that FOMO fear of missing out that, Oh, I feel like there's an Easter egg here. And I'm, and like, I'm, I feel like I I would enjoy this more if I caught it. I don't think you really get that. I, I don't know that the casual, like the really casual fan or even like the medium to hardcore fan who has to just, like I said, be very judicious with their time. I don't know that they're like, feeling lost or they should be enjoying this more if they just knew more, had more time to spend on all of that expanded stuff. I think it's the right, I think it's the appropriate amount. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do feel again, like it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like you have to go like, gotta go back or I have to do this. You know, you mentioned to Rob and I didn't, uh, I didn't chime in right then. I didn't want to cut you off, but you talked about R5 and geez, like could, could we get better security yeah. for droids and stuff like that? But I thought it was freaking hysterical. And I really did. Like I got a really good laugh out of the, the patrol bot coming up and oh, R5 yeah, that was really like, funny. like kicking him away. And then like, getting his little posse and they just like bumper car him with their with their little sirens going off like i was cracking up like i i got such a freaking kick out of that scene that i really actually paused the episode because i was like i was actually laughing like so hard that i was like oh, i'm gonna miss something here like i got like i gotta get through my chuckle like i i thoroughly enjoyed that i thought it was actually just very funny Star Wars has always had humor as an integral part of what makes it what it is and why we like it. At times it's done ineffectively. At times it's done completely offensively Mm -hmm. Uh, in the case of like, say Jar Jar Binks, but I'm not going to get into that. That's, you know, another conversation for another day. And, and when it's done right, it just balances that, that levity balances the serious tone and some of the really important other themes that are happening. You know, you just think about how Star Wars is always kind of, it's, it's the galaxy far, far away. And it's, it's using high fantasy mixed with sci-fi in a, in a way that is, is literally perfect, but still has the ability to tell us things about ourselves when you, when you choose to look there. But being able to balance that with these really clever, funny moments from, from characters who don't even speak. I mean, think how much we universally love R2D2 and he just beeps. Yeah. I mean, think about (laughs) BB eight. Yeah. Another character, another astromech droid that just beeps. And yet if I asked you, if you felt like you understood the personality of BB eight and R2D2, you would feel as a fan, like you understood their personality and yet they never speak. Chewie has no language that you can understand. You feel like you understand his personality. And I would say through, 
three television, you know, three episodes or sorry, three seasons of the Mandalorian. And then, you know, half a season, I guess, of book of Boba Fett. I feel like I know Grogu's personality. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's amazing how star Wars has managed to take, you know, droids, like you said, who have no speaking lines besides like Dio and the rise of Skywalker. But I, I still actually liked him a lot. And make like droids, they make you really, you know, like these characters. It could be argued that the most disliked character is the one that talks in C-3PO. Yeah. Like, but, you know, they managed to take these droids and make them these like lovable characters. And the same goes for Groku. Grogu, he doesn't speak. We don't know what he's saying, but yet you could almost like if we went back right now and rewatched episodes, you could just transcript if you wanted to. And I could be right. You could be right. A listener from, you know, another country could be right with eh, he's probably saying this like and it it just it speaks to. You know. Good Star Wars again. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get deep into that, but it just, it speaks to how good star Wars can be in terms of a character who does not speak, but draws emotion. Yeah, that's, and that's hard to do because typically you need their words to communicate their ideas, but somebody like Grogu, you're pretty sure what, you know, what's important to him. It's mostly snacks. Let's be honest. It's mostly snacks. And then, you know, having a shiny ball and just kind of having something to play with, you know, buttons to push and and things like that. But it's also Din and it's also it's becoming Bo. It's uh, uh, Pelimata, you know, back in in uh, Mos Eisley. And apparently it's the little guys. I forget the creatures names that fix all the stuff that's on Navarro. But like he likes those two. You know, we're pretty sure he wants to cuddle with those. But you, you've got a pretty good idea of, of what he wants and what's important to him and, and the people that are important to him and, and the level of importance these people have to him. When when Mando says, then I will adopt him, I, I swear he's he's just like looking at him like, I love you. Like, Gro- like when Grogu looks up at him, like there's just. I, I, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned it, but geez, like. Yeah, and think about that for a second. One character, you can't see his face. The other character is a Muppet. Yeah. And yet that unspoken piece of dialogue was screamed out. It was like shouted out of the TV from Mm -hmm. each of them to each other. Yeah. Without without being able to see facial expressions the way that we're accustomed to in normal live action. Yeah. No, 100%. So... Two other big, well, one way more than the other. Two other important things in this episode that happen is, I'll mention this one first, is we didn't get what I thought we would with the Mythosaur. Yeah. Don't hate it. Don't love it. Just kind of go, okay. I thought maybe it would play a more important role. 
what it means that Grogu communicated with him or her. Not really sure. I don't know. But I, I was a little surprised by that, that it didn't get another scene in the season finale. But one thing that I have heard from other fans that, it, you know, they were a little bit like, why did you even introduce it or why did you do that? Is the destruction of the Darksaber, which I think actually is a really good scene and a really telling message for what Mandalore is going to be compared to what Mandalorians used to follow and being able to walk, tying into being able to walk both ways. Uh, Rob, I'll let you get into it and I, I can chime in with more thoughts on, on the dark saber, but what did you think about the lack of the mythosaur and, you know, the, the dark saber scene in general? Cause I, I have seen, it's a little bit of a, a talking point for why they decided to destroy it. So in terms of the mythosaur, what I'm glad we didn't get was like at the end of Jurassic Park when the T-Rex just comes in and and eats the raptors and like mm-hmm. our heroes can escape. And it's kind of it functions as like a deus ex machina device. I, you know, OK, like it works in Jurassic Park because it's got great theme music and, you know, and he has the big roar at the end when the when dinosaurs ruled the earth banner comes floating to the ground that you again see in Jurassic World on the floor. Like it's that you you know you get that moment. I'm glad we didn't get that. I would have hated that. I think Moff Gideon is defeated because of the cunning and the bravery and the ability of the Mandalorian squads. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. how he goes down. You know, our heroes beat the bad guy. They don't need this giant, you know, Mosasaur looking thing to just pop out of whatever crevice it was hiding in at that moment and save the day because the script asked him to. So Let's leave it. Let's leave it. Let's leave that to be Bo's quest to do something with it. Tame it, kill it. I don't know. Whatever they're going to do with it. Mount it on her wall, make a rug out of it. I don't know. As far as the Darksaber, what I think will be interesting is they were following her partially because she had it. And that was kind of like their Excalibur. Like, okay, well, you know, you've got the sword and the stone. So by tradition, we have to follow you. But now they've got the opportunity to follow her by choice because she's demonstrated that she is the rightful ruler of Mandalore by deed and action. And, you know, compassion for her, her fellow Mandalorian, for for her people. And I think it'll mean more to her as as the ruler of their of their society that it's by choice, not necessarily because she's got the MacGuffin. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with it. I, I like the fact that, you know, you, you basically said it all. It's an indication that this new way of Mandalore and Mandalorians is, it it was like a, a, it was a visual cue that this is going to be a new day for Mandalore, so to speak, and and Mandalorians together. I, I like the fact that it's destroyed. You know, I do I think it's completely gone? No. I maybe like, could they reforge that thing? Like, yeah, they could probably figure out a way to like just remake it. <laughs> yeah. So, but I in in terms of this story, I like I for me what I feel it represents. I really like, I, 
I, I thought it was a clever way of representing Mandalore. I also did like that scene where Grogu, you know, saves Bo himself and, and Din. It, it is a callback to the season one finale where he stops a flamethrower and it, it really just shows the, the increase of where Grogu has come from season one to season three. Again, a nice, you know, a nice bookend on his journey so far and how far he's come himself. Because remember when he's had to do that before, it was a much smaller fireball. And mm-hmm. as soon as it was done, he had to take a nap. Yeah. He, he was completely <laughs> drained. And then this time it was a way bigger event and he was in control. He, you know, so either in just his own recollection of his previous training or the time he spent with Luke or just as he ages, who knows how his species actually works. They ha- they haven't told us yet, Mm-mm. but I thought that was like, okay, like he's, he's really starting to come into his force abilities a, a lot more. We've seen him use his force abilities for different things, but it really feels like he's able to have much greater control over it. Yeah, no, hundred percent greater control. Cause yeah, no, he, he really did like, he would use it and he would, he would need a nap even for the smallest thing. He like, it would just drain him. And the fact that he was able to do this and still be, you know, conscious, so to speak, and and still going, you know, he's not the only one though, who gets, you know, he is 50, you know, like I I get it. I'm 40. Like I, I need a nap sometimes when I do something. Yeah, no, I naps are fantastic. Yeah. But you know, he's not the only one that gets, a kind of a bookend on his story, so to speak, because, you know, pause the Mandalorian, his son Ragnar gets a nice little bookend as in, you know, we're introduced to him trying to take the code in episode one to the end of season three, you know, re- reciting and, and undergoing that, Again, I I thought they did a lot of nice things with this episode. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why when I went back and watched it a second time, again, I liked it the first time. But I felt like, yeah, it did feel like a season finale because I was remembering other things that had happened in the previous episodes. And like, yeah, they really did, you know. It doesn't have to be closed, but they really did address things that happened previously in the season that I wasn't really picking up on as my first watch through. I was really just watching what was happening on screen and not thinking about the season as a whole. Yeah, I think some of the things that we wanted to see happen and just even didn't know that to ask for. You know, I suppose we never really did get much of a resolution to what happened next with Christopher Lloyd's character and and Jack Black's cameo. We didn't really get complete resolution on that. So I suppose there's still some more stuff they can tell us, although I don't think a lot of people are begging for that. Yeah, it's it was a a great way to put this season to bed where it's it doesn't end on a cliffhanger the way that sometimes a season of television will. But I, to to me at least, and Matt, you've kind of talked about how the the viewership is down for season three, which kind of surprises me a little bit because I'm still enjoying it quite a bit. I'm still definitely looking forward to it. I'm still talking about it with people. 
But to me, I don't know that this is the kind of show you need to put a big major cliffhanger on to, to retain interest. But that's, I guess I'm only speaking for myself because if, if viewership is down as much as, as, as kind of we've heard, maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think maybe, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but part of me wants to go back and rewatch this season and, and see if I like it more overall. And I, I don't think I'm actually going to be able to do that, but this, this episode really does make me kind of want to go back and go, all right. As a whole, if I can watch this thing, like relatively straight through, do thing like, do things that we had to wait for to see feel better in the moment with the, yeah. with the connective tissue that this did. I think it might just highlight the highs and lows because there, this is definitely a season of highs and lows. I think that the lows would be much more amplified and the highs I think would probably feel much higher. I think one, one of the th- maybe dangling things that I kind of wish would have gotten a little more clarity. So we had, we, we knew that there was some things going on with cloning. Obviously, we knew very early into this series that genetics were involved and trying to, you know, pull force ability out of Grogu. That's sort of how this, the events of this series really get put into motion in the first place. I would have loved to have had a little bit more of a window into what Gideon was actually trying to do with his own clone army of, him, of himself what was his full master plan? Was that in service to Palpatine? Because we kind of thought, and there was some auditory like orchestral cues that maybe Snoke was like a version of him was in that cloning tank. Is Snoke actually a, a, a remnant clone that's still left over of Gideon? Like there's all kinds of stuff you can start to ask questions about. I, I think a lot of people have assumed that Snoke is somehow connected to a clone of Palpatine. I think that's sort of what most people go with, but I don't know that that's necessarily settled. Uh, Snoke is really still a, quite a bit of a mystery, I think. And I think we thought that was going to get tied in here. I think a lot of people expected that. And to find out that the clones were actually Gideon, uh, was a surprise to me, but what was his ultimate plan? You know, he's still participating with that shadow council. Was that just to keep up appearances? Was that to basically continue to finance what he was doing on Mandalore with all of that? What was it? What was he trying to do with that? Like what did Bo-Katan and Din Djarin actually thwart? Like that I think would be really interesting to know more about. Yeah. You know, was it, a a way to maybe, you know, behind closed doors, he doesn't let on, but you know, was he concerned about the return of Thrawn and he's using, you know, these clones that, you know, it certainly finally made it very apparent why he was trying to get Grogu in season one. He needed to harness Grogu's use of the force and put it into his clones. Like, he doesn't say that's why I wanted the kid, but he says I was going to make, you know, I think he says the word army of force sensitive clones and I'd be unstoppable. But what was the end? Was it, you know, was it going to be to serve Palpatine if he knows about Palpatine cloning? 
was it so that he could stay in power and he didn't have to worry about working in a group? Maybe we'll get something because I've I've heard the theory that there are people that say that the real Gideon's actually still alive because they, you know, sometimes people will grasp onto anything and it's nothing. But some people say that the Gideon that died is a clone himself because when did Gideon find time to get rid of his mustache? Because <laughs> he had a, he had a mustache in season two and all of the clones didn't have. So he was a clone that had actually made it through and he was like a test one to see how well he like how well the clone process was working. I don't think that's true, but I, that's, that's certainly something that I have read on more than one, you know, more than one site heard more than, you know, just a few people talking about it that I wonder if Gideon's still around, you know, as as great as John Carlo is, and as effective as a villain as Moff Gideon is, if he's still alive, I would think that I, it would be kind of cheap. I yeah, think. I, I I would feel it would be cheap after seeing him go out for him to be like, "You killed my clone." I'd be like, mm, I, I kind of wish it was you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just think about how we felt about Palpatine coming back. Like, okay, so that completely cheapens everything that happens in the in episodes one through six by just the fact oh no he was a clone all along he was over on exegol he was making the final order like Mm -hmm. with what resources exactly yeah how do those people live by the way too nobody like they don't need to like they're just chilling underneath ice like where's food coming from for these people like Yeah, there's there's so many questions that like if you really start getting into logistics of creating <laughs> star destroyers of that size with that many people, like yeah, you don't keep any of that secret. Somehow everybody in the Empire ate. Like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> man. Uh Star Wars. But <laughs> But Rob, any final thoughts that you that you want to talk about with with this episode, particularly because we do want to kind of, you know, when we do our rating and thing, we do want to talk about the season a little bit as a whole. But any any particular thoughts on this episode that we haven't gotten to No, let's grab some popcorn. All right. So listeners, we're going to we're going to go to popcorn time. We're going to talk about our rating for the season finale. And then we're going to dive into our rating for how we think season three was overall with a little bit of context as to that score. So for me, I will take episode eight, the season finale of season three. I am giving it four and a half buckets. I did think the, you know, there, there are a couple of issues with the episode centered around the fact that all of a sudden you know, Din's power level or his fighting ability, just like Rob said, kind of went to easy mode, so to speak, in in a certain aspect, if you're thinking of it. I But I did think the episode was very enjoyable. I thought it was a great bookend for the season. I give it four and a half buckets, thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the few ones that I actually went back and watched to get my entire thoughts on it. 
I'm just going right to five. I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I loved the action, loved the pace, loved the story that we got, loved the continuation of Din and Grogu's story. I'm captivated by what's going to happen with Bo and the rest of Mandalore and what we see from these characters moving forward and the kinds of stories that we can tell moving forward. It's the kind of thing that makes my brain start asking questions and trying to figure out for myself what could be next. So to me, that's that's five bucket territory. All right. I certainly can't disagree with with that. So season three, I think. Partially, you summed it up pretty well with some really big highs and some really big lows. Do the really big highs outweigh the lows in season three? Because it's something we weren't really used to with the Mandalorian. I don't ever recall being as disappointed in any episode. Maybe that's too harsh of a word of season one and two. than. I had been with season three to season three with the highs deliver a bigger high than anything in season one or two. Rob, I'll let, I'll, I'll let you go first, tr- go kind of going into some of that stuff and maybe some thoughts of your own. Yeah. I, I think <clears throat> because of how much we like the music, how much we like Grogu as a character, how much we like the story of Din and Grogu together. And just the fact that when the Mandalorian is good, it's as good as just about anything else in Star Wars. And when Star Wars is good, it's better than anything. And I think we tend to remember that more so, at least at least I do. And I, and I think you do as well, Matt. And I think a lot of fans do. So, But when you when you really go back and look at some of that stuff in season two, there were some low points there, too, that you kind of forget about because of just how much was was there that was good. Now, all that being said, I think season three is a little less than season two. I think there were some absolute throwaway moments in, in season three, some complete throwaway episodes that you probably could have gotten them everything you needed from that episode in kind of almost like a recap format. You could have told you everything you needed and that's kind of an indictment. That being said, a lot of how I think I'm going to remember a season of television is going to be on the season finale. And I just gave out five buckets to it. I'm not going to give this season five. That would be, you know, inaccurate. This is like three. And I don't think it's as bad as three and a half sounds. So I'm just going to go ahead and say three and three quarter. Cause I can't just hand it four, but three and a half sounds like it's harsher than I really want it to sound. So I'm going to go three and three quarter and just kind of hedge a little bit. Yeah. I land exactly at three and a half. It is where I land for this season because I I do think some of the lows in this season are for the Mandalorian, some of the lowest that I have seen out of season out of the three seasons. Uh, And I also don't think that some of, and and they were good. And again, maybe I would change my mind if I go back and I watched and I said, I am binging all three seasons back to back. Uh, I'm just going to figure it out. Maybe I would think differently, but the way that I remember season one and two, 
as much as I like this episode and some of the the highs of this, they never quite reach for me. And it's close, but they never reach the highs of season one and two when it was firing on all cylinders, especially season one. So I think the discrepancy is is too big of a gap for me. And I give this a three and a half. And again, overall, I, I do like this season. I do think overall it is the and that it, it feels kind of dirty saying this. I do feel it's the the weakest season out of the Mandalorian, but I do still enjoy it. But three and a half for me is is right where I fall. Coming off of just finishing this season. You know, thinking about the moment when Din says he's going to adopt Grogu, you know, here's a, you know, how old do we think Din is? 25, 27, you know, he's adopting a 50 year old infant. <laughs> your I know, yeah, it is. I, I, I do kind of wonder what Din's age is. Yeah, I don't think it's ever really defined, but I'm sure it's probably in the lore somewhere. Um, listeners, if you know the answer, email us mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how old Din is, if you know. And and cite the Wikipedia if that's if that's where you got it. But you know, as as big of a moment as an emotional of an moment as that was, it's not at the same height as when he takes his helmet off at the end of season two before he sends Grogu off with Luke to say goodbye to him. It's not that moment. We don't have a moment in season three that matches that, and that's okay. Like that's that's okay. That's a hard moment to recreate when Luke just shows up and just wallops guys left and right. And then we get that, that moment there. That's a hard moment to replicate uh, no matter what you do. But as far as what, you know, whatever we have next for these two characters, whatever happens next with Bo, I'm still in, I still want to see it. I 100% would be excited for it. Hard to argue with anything that uh, you commented on about overall thoughts on this season. Yeah. I think too, like, you know, one of the other things I think, you know, the IG 11 sacrifice in season one, I think it, you know, yeah, you know, one of those, I think represents more of a gut punch than, you know, some things that season, you know, three offered us when uh Quill, uh dies in season one, you know, that is still something that plays through it carried into this season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I, again, I am curious if I, you know, get to go back and rewatch the Mandalorian as a whole, will, will things change? Well, will I go back and go, boy, I actually don't remember, you know, season two as much as I thought I did, or cause I don't think my opinion would change on season one. I, I think season one top to bottom, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. You know, so I I'd be interested to see. But, yeah, I can't uh, as it stands right now, three and a half for me is is where I would stand. I'd certainly be interested to see if anything would change. Certainly over time, my thoughts on certain movies, you know, have changed. I, you know, maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind or, you know, I was having a bad day and it was like, I shouldn't have watched it because I was too distracted with other things and wasn't focusing on it. I've, I've certainly done that. Rob, I'm sure you've done the same where you go back and go. So what was my problem with that? Like, why didn't yeah. I like it back then? 
Yeah, we've we've had a couple of episodes that we've done on that. And then there's been other times where things have gone down, you know, yeah. things things age differently and, and we mature differently. And maybe films we had high hopes for or high, high regard for as we mature in life and as culture and society changes, we just kind of look at it and go, yeah, I feel kind of gross saying I liked that movie at one time. Like American Pie is, I think, the big one that jumps out like, wow, that's that's tough to go back and revisit and say was ever something that you were really into. There's actually like a new, uh, there was actually just an article that I saw. I lost it, but it was like, like people of this generation, like actually going and finding American pie and like just losing their minds over it. Yeah, it's, it's tough to it's tough to defend. It's, so <laughs> that's just putting it mildly. But yeah, so that is going to do it. The Mandalorian in a in a sad way is done. Cause it's sad when Star Wars is done. You know, certainly we're gonna get Ahsoka soon. So we don't have to wait too long for Star Wars. But I always feel better when there's Star Wars in the mix, regardless if it's good or bad, because Either way, it kind of gives us something to talk about. Go ahead. Go ahead. In 100%, when there's, when there is new Star Wars on the horizon, it just, it feels like things are just better. Like I'm just more optimistic when there's new Star Wars content to look forward to. And, and we've got a lot. We've got the next Jedi Fallen Order game. That's going to be a lot of fun. I have pre-ordered, so can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be great. We've got Ahsoka coming. We've got film announcements that we won't really get anytime soon. Another season of Andor. There's there's a lot to be excited about if you're if you're a Star Wars fan and if you're not a Star Wars fan, like what's wrong with you? Yeah, I'm surprised. I I Were you not hugged enough as a child? <laughs> so, you know, speaking of exciting as we're closing this out <laughs> or not exciting. If you're about to talk about what I think you're going to talk about, maybe, maybe, but so little sneak preview. Uh, if you're listening to this episode, you have seen that you have probably seen that I have, you know, me personally, uh, Rob is not a part of this one. I have uploaded episodes for the Netflix special Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once and always, uh, which I was super excited for as a kid growing up during the peak of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers when you could not avoid it. It was very cool to see some of the original cast back. An episode for Evil Dead Rise that I you know, was a, was a solo episode as well. But one that you will hear from Rob and myself is we review another movie together. Uh, and one that I thought I knew little inside preview here, how crazy and how outlandish it was. Boy, watching it back, brace yourselves because we're going to be talking about the original Super Mario Brothers movie. And boy, I forgot what a dumpster fire crazy mess that movie is. Yeah, like what's funny is you like we accept it as one of the worst movies of all time. 
Like that's just commonly accepted. Like when you think of lists of bad movies, that's one that everybody brings up. And even knowing and even remembering that it's a terrible movie doesn't brace you properly for how terrible of a movie this truly is. So yes, we, uh, I'm, I'm begging Matt to stop taking my ideas because I, I kind of had three quarters jokingly suggested it. And he said, we're doing it. And then I said, Oh crap, I've, I've already committed to it. So now I have to watch this, this turd pile. So yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that later this week uh, with more uh, video game adaptions to come. Some of them good. Most of them not as part of the course for video game. But, you know, unfortunately for you, Rob, after after rewatching this, I, I'm going to take more of your ideas. So so just be very careful what you say to me. Yeah, <laughs> listeners, we, we know that you guys typically like it when we do watch terrible movies. So do me a favor. Don't download the Mario episode, because if you do, it's just going to encourage us to have to watch <laughs> more crap. So, so for the first time ever, I'm asking you not to download it, even though I'm sure it's going to be fire because, because then we won't be motivated to watch more bad movies. So, uh, I look forward to talking about that listeners. Thank you so much. And before we officially sign off, when you're on our social media pages, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, we have a letterbox account. Don't forget, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. It helps the show so much. We certainly appreciate it. Email us at mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about our reviews. Let us know what you'd like us to do. Uh, the, the interaction is always appreciated. Uh, some great conversations that have been had in the past. And we will see you very soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.